We interrupt our program to bring this you this important, important message. message. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for, for joining. This is our inaugural event, and I am blessed to have Mickey Willis uh, as the first guest and it's quite exciting. So when I talked with Mickey in preparation, he said he'd like the title to be Breaking the Spell of Propaganda, which I think is very fitting. So Mickey also sent me his bio, which I'm gonna read, but it's there's more important, uh, a more important fact that I wanna share. So Mickey wrote that he's a father filmmaker, best-selling author. He's an investigative filmmaker that is respected globally for exposing corruption at the highest level. His filmmaking is accredited for helping to win major lawsuits against the most powerful forces of big media. His latest movie, Plandemic, is the most seen and censored documentary in history. And of course, I've watched Plandemic. If you haven't done it, uh, I would encourage everybody to watch it. And I believe that is a piece of history to start breaking the spell of propaganda. But the thing I wanted to add to Mickey's bio is I had the pleasure of meeting Mickey uh, last April and I got to meet his family. And I found to me the most amazing thing about him was that he started his own school, which I, I was uh, exceptionally uh, impressed with. So to introduce this show, the reason I'm doing this is because I have found that the most powerful thing I've learned since my daughter Grace's death is that I've been programmed to believe things that are not true. So Grace was 19, she had Down syndrome and she was murdered by the hospital system last October 13th of 2021. And I want to start every episode with a funny story about Grace or at least a story, it doesn't have to be funny, but the one that applies here is uh, Grace was about five or six and I took her to Walmart and I hate that that store so I must have done something wrong I think my wife said Scott you got to go to Walmart to pick up whatever so I took Grace with me and on the way to the store I said Grace just so you know everybody that shops at Walmart is a zombie so Grace didn't understand literal humor at that time she became a pro at it later on but when we got to Walmart she poked a guy in the stomach and then she said dad they're not zombies so anyway, that's my little bit about Grace today. So, uh, Mickey, welcome. Thank you Thank so you. much. It's great to be here, Scott. So the first question I have for you is that you said we want to break the spell. So what does that mean exactly, the spell? The spell of propaganda. What is the spell? Well, mean? the spell of propaganda. So for many decades, longer than most people realize or want to realize that we have been under a psychological warfare to overtake our nation, America, the greatest free country that was ever established because it is the firewall for the agenda of a class of people that are, they come from collectivism, but they are the globalists. They're the people that are wanting to dominate the world, the world currency, the world resource supplies, and the people. And when you understand this, I actually was invited to understand this about 12 years ago. I had some people approach me to give me a breakdown on, on what was really going on. And quite honestly, I rolled my eyes. I thought it was just far too outlandish to be possible. And here we are. 
And so it's uh, something that I've discovered to be incredibly real. And that is because America is so powerful, because it has one of the most powerful militaries, it did at least, I don't know where it stands today. It's been so weakened in the past couple of years. But because of all of that, the nations that want to become the superpowers have been working against us. And there's multiple nations. Right now, China's our biggest threat, but we have Russia, we have Iran, we have a few other nations that would love to see America go down. Matter of fact, we have terabytes of footage of Iranians chanting death to America. You know, and I don't mean the wonderful Iranian people, I mean the governments of these nations, the CCP, not the Chinese people. Um, and because uh, in, in a certain way, America is the, you know, the really the dam to stop them from the, the flow of their agenda of world domination. It has been under attack for many, many decades, uh, if not generations at this point. And one of the ways they decided to do that was through the work of propaganda, the work of what people are now waking up to realize is called mass formation, which is very similar to, if not identical to, mass hypnosis. There is a way to lull the, the, the people through first beginning with fear. It's scientifically proven that when the human is under a, a great amount of fear, that it shuts down our capacity for critical thinking and, and problem solving. And when that happens, we go into a fight or flight mode. And that mode usually, unless we have a lot of confidence in ourselves, which very few people have today, that usually comes with uh, asking for help from another leader. So we surrender to the leadership. We become followers. And that's the state that they want us in, These are the crooked politicians that are uh, working very hard to destroy our lives and our families at this point. And so waking up from the propaganda is to first understand that this has been in action and it's been taken from the book of The Art of War by Sun Tzu, uh, the Chinese doctrine that still follows it. Their military system still follows their doctrine, which is all about defeating the enemy from within, defeating the, uh, the enemy without even going to war, turning the enemy against themselves, having them destroy each other. And there's a lot of psychological ways that they can actually make this happen. And those, those ways have been deployed um, and, and put into action many, many years ago. And this is why we see so many people these days that appear to be just uh, out of touch with reality, to say it kindly, but people that, are, that will vote and, and suddenly carry banners of the most absurd ideology without ever really thinking about it or having any, any real reason to do it, they're literally under a programmable spell that when their leaders say, march, do this, these people are the biggest threat, stop them. They become the armies for these, uh, these elite few that are actually seeking to destroy their life as well. So this is time for us to wake up to understand who the true enemy is. And it's not each other. I'll just put it that way. That's fantastic. Uh, what a great open. So what do you, so when you, when you say that America needs to be taken down, of course, I agree with that, that also, but why are our leaders, our leaders seem to be in on this too. What's the reason they're in on it? You agree with that America needs to be taken down? That's what I believe that the world that doing. wants. To, yeah, okay, I agree it. with you that got America it. has to stumble first for this, this whole plan to, to take yeah. place. It has to. They consider America to be the firewall, right? Which is a term used right. that it, it's the wall that prevents the fire from spreading. And so 
It absolutely, because it was one of the only countries that is was a human experiment, really, of that started with the foundation of a constitution, a republic with a constitution that protected the individual's rights, which most nations were under the rule. You know, there's all this talk these days about democracy, democracy. And if you look at the real thinkers of the planet, the Plato's and, and the people that lived, that, that were wise enough to truly understand what democracy is, there's a lot of philosophers who were strongly against democracy, not the idea of democracy, not the idea of the people having a voice, but the structured democracy through the lens of politics is a very, very dangerous thing. So all these people that are out there saying, save our democracy, has anyone stopped to really consider what that means? Because democracy has become mob rules. And mob rules is exactly what led to lynching people, right? As my dear friend G. Edward Griffin says, it was the mob against the person at the end of the rope. And so if there were 50 people saying, hang the guy, and the one guy saying, don't hang me, I'm innocent, the 50 people won no matter what of innocence or guilt. And so we have that out in the world right now. We have this, this mob mentality of the mob is saying, you must think this, you must do this, or we'll cancel you. So very sane, good people go, okay, I'll go along with your insane ideology, and I'll, I'll only speak the truth in the privacy of my own bedroom with my spouse. Um, but otherwise, out front on my social media, I'll carry the torch for you because I don't want to be canceled. I'm afraid of the mob. And so what, you know, why are we fighting for that? Why are we fighting to be led by a mob of angry, uh, misled, uh, indoctrinated people who literally will believe they're the ones that were out shaming everyone for not wearing a mask, pushing to close down our businesses, our schools, everything that is now being proven to have been very hazardous and, and, and harmful. These, this was the same mob that was out there shaming all of us. And, and we were all the, the horrible people that were threatening the lives of grandma for not getting the vaccines. Right. And, um, and now they're realizing, you know, oh boy, you know, perhaps those crazy people were correct because now the damage is, is coming to light. Those, that's the same mob that made all of this possible. And so why are we fighting for mob mentality in this thing called democracy when we live in a true republic which protects through our constitution, constitution the individual rights of the, in, the, the individual? So the mob cannot override the individual. We, I, can, I can think for myself. I can make my own choices in my life so long as I'm not harming the rest of, of the population. And we need to get back to that. So I'm going to just to jump into a study. This just came out last week, October 25th. There's a, a study done by the William Buckley program at Yale and regarding the Constitution. So they surveyed uh, these college students and they said 35% of those surveyed said the Constitution was outdated. Only 49% said that it should be followed and respected. So of course, what you're saying is true. That's what we've got to get back to. But how do you do that? when the these people are being programmed through now you know they've got you know over 12 years of of the public fool system and then they go to college and they're programmed to believe something completely false and something completely foreign to what we've got to get back to so how do we get there well here's what i'd like to say to those young people and that is i have created probably a dozen or more cause-driven companies in my adult life. And every cause-driven company, which is, you know, that's, that's speaking the language of this new generation. They want everything to be 
uh, you know, socially correct and environmentally correct. And so they want all corporations to become more aware of the people over the over profit. So that's a that would be a cause driven business model. And a cause-driven business model begins with a mission statement. Every company that I've ever created has been a cause-driven business. And it always starts with, first of all, what is the problem and what is our solution to the problem? And how do we intend to solve this problem? Who do we need to be while, while we're working to solve this problem? What are the morals, the principles, the agreements that we have between us to keep us in alignment so that the temptations when that company becomes successful, those temptations don't suddenly destroy the very purpose that we started the company for. And I will tell you from 30 plus years working in and out of Hollywood, every single cause-driven company that I was adjacent to or a part of, as soon as they became profitable or they had need for profit, which means they either went public or, or suddenly something changed where they had so much overhead, now they had to just keep the boat floating, they changed their mission statements or they scrapped it all together. So that those beautiful words that you get around a circle and you say, what are we about? We're about the children. We're about integrity. We're about creating a pathway for everyone of all economic uh, levels to have the ability to live a full and blessed and, and complete, expressed, fun, happy life. You start with something beautiful like that, and then suddenly it becomes, what's your true mission? Our true mission is, is to pay the bills for the next quarter. So if Coca-Cola wants to come and sponsor us, even though they do great harm to the planet and to people's health and all of that, we'll take your money. And the moment you start taking that outside influence from these corporations that don't have such a benevolent mission statement, then you're, you're literally selling your soul. This is what it, it means to sell your soul. Little by little now, these companies then start to infiltrate your company to say, hey, we saw that last thing that you made, and it kind of goes against all of our stakeholders when you talk about corporations that way, because we are a big multinational uh, corporation. So please don't say that anymore. We'll have to with, withdraw our funding from you. And so now these people become strangle-held to these corporations that they've received money from. I have never received one penny of investment for my, com my production company. That's why I can say what I do. Um, I, I, I can do what I say and say what I do and, and stay true to my morals and what I believe to, to be the work that we came here to do. So on that note, to the young people, understand that the Constitution is our mission statement of this nation. And your professors, your Marxist professors who have been indoctrinated to ruin your life, to convince you that we are almost overpopulated, which is absolute BS, that the world is too dangerous and our economic and, and environmental future is so scary that you shouldn't have children. They're literally taking away from you what is the greatest gifts that you will, you will experience in this life, which is a healthy, wonderful, thriving family. And so understand that those very people that, that talk to you about abolishing the Constitution want nothing but uh, for you to suffer and for you not to have the life that you were born to have, for you to pursue your dream, for you to come here to fulfill your purpose. And that's what's really going on. And so be very leery of anyone who talks negatively about our Constitution. Is it perfect? Are there possible amendments to make as we grow and evolve in the future? Absolutely, we can. We, we, let's talk about all of that. But the general foundation of, particularly our, our first dozen or so uh, um, 
amendments were put there for a reason. And there's a, there's a very, very clear and powerful and critical reason that freedom of speech of expression is number one. And that's why they're attacking that as their number one enemy right now. Because when we have the freedom to speak, then we have the freedom to spread truth. And truth is the enemy of the people that are uh, at the helm of this agenda. Well, that's 100% true. You know, when I graduated from college in the 80s, the number of liberal professors to conservative were three to two. Now it's 23 to one. So why are these young people so easily accepting of these false ideas? That is really puzzling yeah. to me. Yeah, it's we're digging deeply into that in Plandemic 3, really about what it takes to get people to um, ha to fall into groupthink, to follow the leaders. And it's it's kind of startling, but if you understand the nuance ways that the mind control programs have been working, and I'll give you one example. I remember, I think it was 2008 or so, I was really into Facebook at the time. And I remember when they changed the button from whatever it was, I think it was a, you know, uh, we're friends connection or whatever to uh, like, and then it was follow. And I, I just remember thinking, that's so strange. I, I'm, I'm into, I was studying at the time because I was building a digital platform and I was studying user experience, uh, which, it, you know, UX teaches you all about what buttons should be on the left side and right side and what they should be called and what color they should be to get more engagement with the people and all of that. And I was studying that and I thought for a company of, of Facebook's size, this is such a, a bad move. It's, it's really weird that they would call it. I like now I have all these people saying, I like you. And it just felt weird to me because I just wanted friends. I didn't want, I didn't want followers. And then I realized later, I said, Oh, this is conditioning. This is cognitive conditioning. They are now getting the entire world addicted to being liked and to being followed and to following. And so this is one of the things that still to this day, unbelievably, two and a half years after this pandemic started, when most people know that something terribly foul is happening, there's still so many people that won't speak up. Why? Because they're afraid their likes are going to go down. They don't like to see their, 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 their tribe disliking them. The fear of being disliked, the addiction to being liked, they, they, we have put our, so much value in that. Like my value is how many likes I have online. The people I put a video out, depending on how many likes it gets, determines how good it is, which means how good I am. So now you're actually threat, threatening someone's relationship with themselves. And that was all part of the, 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 the mind scheme to get us into this place of being addicted. And that's, that's the little ways they do it through, through all their technologies and technocracy to get us into a mental state that we can't even see because it happens in such a, a, a seemingly innocent way that we don't know that they've changed the button to get us addicted to being liked. We, we don't think of that. We just, we just recognize that it's weird. And then within a month, we're used to it. It's normalized and we move on with our life. But the next thing you know, we're so afraid to say anything online that might have us canceled that we just stay silent. And that's that's the number one goal right now. That is an absolutely perfect example to explain this concept. So think when I start thinking of the way out of this, so the what we witnessed with the pandemic was problem, reaction, solution. 
which that can be a helpful tool, but not the way they used it. So, I mean, they create the problem with COVID, they create the reaction, which is fear, then they create the solution, which is the jab. Okay, so all of this is created by people who don't have uh, the same value system that you and I have. So then this, this way of thinking, problem, reaction, solution, and when I think about it, I think, how do I get the people I know to start critically thinking so they can see this while it's happening? So critical thinking, as I see it, has been completely trained out of the public school system. So is critical thinking a necessary piece of this to get, get young people trained to think this way? Well, critical thinking is, is necessary for us to survive. In, in all ways of life. If we were out on our own in the middle of the uh, forest to survive, we'd have to have our critical thinking abilities. It, it helps you find what's in your environment um, and what's there given to us by God and by nature for to work with for our own evolution and, and survival. And so how do we get the young people to to wake up, to think for themselves again. And, that, and that's ultimately what critical thinking is. It, 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 it just, it's the opposite of group thinking. It's not that you go, um, you don't go along with the, the herd just because they're saying something. And we're in, in Plandemic 3, we're, we're featuring uh, several uh, behavioral experiments that have been done from the 40s all the way to present day. And I'll give you an example of some of them. So you just get the idea of, of how we all behave. And again, it's just because at the root of it, I will say this, at the root of it is, is something good. And that is what it demonstrates is we so much hunger for connection. We want to be part of each other. We want to be acknowledged, embraced, um, seen by each other so much that this is what actually causes us to be willing to go along with the absurdities of the group. And so there are some, some vintage experiments that have been done. Um, there's one called the Ash Experiment, which has been repeated through the generations and every time to the same results. And it's really simple. And that is a room full of actors, one person who's not in on it, and, and a demonstrator, an instructor shows a piece of paper that has uh, four lines of different lengths, and then one line uh, separate from the lines. And it's very clear within, within the four lines, there's one very tall one. And over here, the single line is very tall. So it's very clear which one this one matches. And let's say that's number two, but then the group is instructed to say number three, which is clearly not a match for this one. And what typically happens is in the first round, the, the person who is you know not in on it, the victim, will say, no, no, it's number two. It's obvious it's number two. And then everyone goes, what? And, and it goes around again. But finally, by, by the second or third pass, they're going, okay, number three, number three. Yeah, it's number three. They're, they're seeing what the group sees because they don't want to be ostracized from the group. Another very important demonstration was one that we call the waiting room experiment. And that was, uh, it was actually done by National Geographic and it was very recently and it was a fantastic experiment where uh, a young lady came into a, uh, a doctor's office waiting room and it ha had about uh, eight, again, about eight actors in it. And a buzzer would go off and every time the buzzer would go off, the people would stand up. 
And in the beginning, she's reading a book and she's going, and the buzzer goes off and everyone sits down. And by the third time, she stands up with the group. She's looking around like, this is odd, but no one seems to be, they're not even acknowledging it. They're just standing up and they're, or they're still reading their magazines and then the buzzer goes off and they sit back down. And so now she's doing it every time until one by one, each of these people are called into the doctor's office until she's alone. And the buzzer goes off and she stands up and the buzzer goes off and she sits down and then new people come in and she continues to do it until they ask her, they say, what, why, why are you doing that? Why are you standing up? She said, I, I'm not totally sure, but I think that's what you're supposed to do when you're here. And so the next time the buzzer goes off, all these new people stand up, the buzzer goes off and they sit down. So now they're, they're training people who weren't even in on it. Um, it's the, it's this, uh, that same little fable that goes around where uh, I heard years ago where a, um, a young lady had said to her mother that was teaching her how to, how to bake a loaf of bread. The mom yeah. says, you do this, you roll it up, you cut the ends of the bread off and you put it in the oven. And she says, why do you cut the ends of the bread off, mom? She said, that's what you do. And she said, but why? She said, I don't know. That's what you're supposed, that's just part of making bread. You cut the ends off. And she goes, I don't know. You're, that's what your grandmother told me. So next time she saw her grandmother, she said, Grandma, I'm just curious. I was learning how to bake bread with mom. And she, we cut the ends of the bread off and, and she didn't have a reason for why. Why is that? She said, well, back in the day, our ovens were this wide and we had to cut the ends of the bread off. Yeah, that's one so that's an example of how we just continue with these traditions and ideologies, even if it doesn't make sense or we don't know why. And so coming back into thinking for ourselves, the daughter was thinking for herself. She was asking the, the most important question, why? That's that's right on. That's one of my favorite stories. And I have often thought that we have to have that childlike uh, attitude, that childlike faith to, to uh, really get to the why. And unless you know the why, you know nothing. That's so right. you, you've proven really quite succinctly that we're, as a, as a nation, we're under this spell of propaganda. What would you say is the the single most important thing that we can do to break the spell? So I, I've learned to see our innovations as prototypes for our the what we're evolving into. When I say evolving, I mean we're growing, we're expanding, we're getting more intelligent, we're learning. Um, we're, we're innovating technologies. And I've learned to see in the same way that an architect will have an idea for a building. And that will then go to the draft stage, a blueprint, perhaps drafting it up with pencils. And then the next stage is a replica, a model that sits on his or her desk that they can look at and really get an idea of what this model looks like before they actually commit to building it at, at, at full scale. And I, I've learned that none of our inventions come from our imagination. It comes from us seeking to understand our future. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, there was a time when, when we first got our personal computers that they could only do what the, the, the factory installed on them. They were pretty much just a word processor, a very heavy, big, bulky word processor. They could, really couldn't do much. And then we created this thing called the World Wide Web. And you could plug in that 
that you know computer paperweight, and suddenly that little computer becomes a supercomputer. It now has access to every computer that's online in the world. And we have that at our fingertips right now. And so in answer to your question, I believe that that is, a, that is us outpicturing that the next stage for humanity is to go online, to really tap into this thing we call our intuition, which is what God speaks to us through. Right now, we're so used to listening with our ears and processing with our minds that we've forgotten how to actually receive intelligence with the intelligence of our heart, the sacred heart that we all possess by right of God, to be able to listen to that infinite intelligence that comes in the form of God, that speaks to us, that gives us guidance, clear guidance, individual guidance, what we are supposed to do, not what the tribe is supposed to do, but the choices that we are to make in our lives. That's why the, 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 the power of prayer is so important for us to be still, to listen, to have that inner communication with God so that we can receive what our next marching orders are, what our missions are. And it, most people, particularly people at a, in an adult stage, as we are, have had some kind of profound experience in life where a download of information, a mission, a life's mission, or a clarity on something has come in the most powerful way that has informed us uh, of the new direction of the, of the next chapter of our lives. Most of us have had those to a small degree or to a massive degree. I've had several in my life. And that's God speaking to us. And I think that we have been systemically severed from our communication with God such that we have so many voices in the head that we confuse with God. But there's just other fallible men or women that have somehow, including pastors, that have, that have planted in ideas that may not be in alignment with our lives, our future, our God, or the purity of God's message. It could be a, a one man's interpretation of, of something they received that doesn't quite necessarily apply to our, our lives and, and our life's mission. And so it's about being still enough, coming back in. There's a reason that, that the technocrats are working very hard to keep us addict, addicted to technologies and things, entertainment. I used to say that I had an entertainment company. I won't even use that word anymore. I'm not interested in entertaining people. I'm interested at, 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 at opening people up and reminding people, not even teaching people, reminding them of what they already know to be true, bringing them back to their natural sense of intelligence that they had when they were children, that they had before the system led them off their path so that we can literally do what one of the most profound stories ever told on, in cinema is The Wizard of Oz. So we can stay on that golden path deal with all the different aspects of our lives, be it the, you know, the lack of courage or heart or intellect, whatever it might be, to stay on that path, to arrive at the castle, to pull back the curtain on the great voice of Oz, the deceptor that has been misguiding our lives and, and creating nothing but fear in, in, in the kingdom, to understand that it's just a little frightened man behind a bunch of levers, filling our minds and hearts with a bunch of misinformation and then at that point, we disconnect from that system and reconnect with the intelligence of nature and of God. Absolutely outstanding, Mickey. 
Well, I really like how you frame that. God is the only way out of this. And, you know, all of us have been given different talents. Uh, obviously, you've been given an, an awful lot and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing with them. So as we as we wrap up, I do want to have you drill that down to the person who may only have one talent and and that person's listening to this or they're listening to other truth. What can what can just the regular Joe do? What would you tell the regular Joe to do some specific action or action so that they can do something not as as dramatic as what you're doing? But what can they what can the individual do to help? Well, the first thing that regular Joe needs to do or the regular Jolene, whatever you want to you want to how you want to direct this. I'm glad you only mentioned two. Is to is to understand that first thing to do is to drop that concept that you're an only Joe or only Jolene, drop it, because it, it's it's that is part of the conditioning. If you consider that we are all cells in the body of God, we have trillions of cells in your body. Are any of those cells less important than the other cells? They all give you life. They're all critical to your survival. When the cells start to battle each other, we have dis-ease. And so it's bringing your cells into a harmonious understanding and alignment that they are, their job is to give your body life, to support the life of your body, this incredible gift given, given to us by God, this brilliant and resilient instrument that we call the human body. We are not a failed experiment. We are not lowly. We are not any of that. We are an incredible instrument here to broadcast the truth and light of God, of life. And so the first thing to do is to readjust the way you see yourself. Because I once held a very low opinion of myself because I didn't do well in school and I wasn't raised with a father. I had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And I really felt like a screw up in life and that my life was heading in a really bad direction. I didn't know that if I would end up in prison or, or, or dead. And it was adjusting the way that I saw myself in this world. It was coming back to that original agreement that I had with myself that I came here to do something. There's a reason that children are so infatuated with things like superheroes and all of that, is because we know that we came here to do something extraordinary. And that extraordinary, again, be very careful on how you classify what's extraordinary. Giving birth and raising a child is extraordinary. Going to a soup line and feeding the homeless is extraordinary. Tending to a, 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 a building so that a, a incredible work can happen within that building as the janitor is extraordinary. It serves a purpose. And it's not, humans have a tendency to, to, to judge everything through a hierarchical standard that instead of just realizing that, that yes, to use a baseball analogy, because we're a baseball family and I coach Little League, every position matters. Yeah. The, the pitcher and the catcher might, might handle the ball more often. And some people will say those, those are some of the more important positions because they're working harder. But if you're missing your right fielder, that's where the team's going to hit it. And you're going to lose because of that missing position. So try without that guy one game or that girl without one game. 
And so it's understanding that all of these positions make a functional system. And every, every cell within your body makes a functional system. And every body on this planet makes a functional system. And so whatever it is that you're here to do, just do it. Just, just stop being stopped. And, and don't judge yourself based upon, well, I don't have that much finances and I don't, I'm not really articulate. I really can't do it. It doesn't matter. I have seen more mothers and fathers like yourself, Scott, that never, ever had an intention that held jobs as accountants, as, as you know, a ba bank employees or whatever it might be. I've seen people like yourself. You're a shining example, a shining example of what's possible through the human potential when something happens so much greater than our own personal judgments that we burst out of that self-imposed box and become the love warriors that we knew we were born to be when we were infants and children. So it's only you stopping you. Again, very well said, Mickey. I was so much looking forward to this interview more than you would ever know. And, and uh, this was fantastic. Is there any closing comments that you would like to, to make? Well, let me see. I'm sure there is. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you to you. It's a really honor. It's a real honor to be on your first podcast here. I wish you nothing but success. I, I have encountered you. You are such a pure-hearted, wonderful human being. Um, God bless Grace for the gift that she has left with us in your name, for the work that you're doing to save so many other lives on this planet. And I want people to know that we are in a very precarious time in our nation and in our world right now. And there are times when I get nervous and I will even say scared because I, I, I get to see everything that before the people see it in the media. And there are absolutely some things for us to be very concerned about. And so far, what we're seeing is that we're defeating every one of these plans. We are the people through their truth, through love, through their fierceness of love, are rising up. We are being united. A few months ago, I was on stage with groups that I never thought I'd be on stage with, from Hasidic Jewish communities to Nation of Islam to Black Lives Matter to doctors to everyday, you know, field workers, whatever it might be, on stage together, all in the name of freedom. And so we have become complacent in this in this nation we have become ungrateful in this nation we have become lazy in this nation we have had things so damn good scott that we have to create these dramas unconsciously subconsciously to give us something to fight for when all we really need to fight for is our lives and our freedom and so the beauty of this is, is people are waking up to realize how good we had it and we have it. And we are here to preserve our, our lives, our liberties for all people. And so I just want to say to those who are waking up, who are standing up, who are speaking out, thank you from the bottom of my heart, my family's heart, and everyone that's been on the front line of this fight for a long time. It requires all of us 
not all of us, not 100% of us, but a great deal of us to do the work that now people are doing. It requires humility. It's time for us to humble ourselves. If there's people out there who, like so many of us who bought the agenda when it first came out, bought into it, made mistakes, um, it's time to forgive yourself and it's time to forgive others and it's time to apologize. It's time to say I'm sorry to your family that you wouldn't allow over for Christmas because they weren't vaccinated. It's time to say sorry to the family that you railed against because they did get vaccinated. If you want to survive and bring this country back into balance, because it's terribly out of balance right now, but that's all, that's what happens when there's an upheaval. And there's right now there's an upheaval. We have been under the guise of a government that has been pretending to care about us for so long and they never have. And we're waking up to that right now. And so we have an incredible opportunity to create a people-powered nation and world where we do actually have a say. And there is something similar to democracy where the people have a vote and we get to shape this nation based upon our morals and our, and, and our values. And that's happening because of the people that are standing up right now. And so thank you to everyone courageous enough. And if you're doing it, if you're whispering it, start shouting. Say it loud. Don't worry about the people you lose because trust me, trust Scott. He'll, I know he'll tell you the same thing. Everyone that I've interviewed has said that they lost a lot of people they thought were their friends, but what they gained were true friendships, true, loyal, integral friendships. I didn't realize how fragile my friendships were before until I released Plandemic. And then I realized when I saw friends that I knew for 20 years out online, you know, distancing themselves from me, how, 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 fragile those friendships were, how they were based upon bonded by agreement. I was in their tribe. I agreed with them. The moment I broke that agreement and disagreed with them, I was out. I wasn't a friend, any, friend anymore. That's not friendship. That's a cult. That's right. And so let's wake up from the cult. And I mean all sides. It's really easy for us to go, look at these people over here on the left that are so crazy and wacky with their crazy ideologies and wanting to castrate you know, boys at eight years old. Yeah, horrible. But what about us? What are we blind to? What can't we see? Where are we judgmental? Where are we canceling each other if they don't agree with us? What are we doing? We, you know, it's a, it's a very personal thing. What am I doing to perpetuate this mess? And let's, let's clear that out of our system. Let's come back into a place of, of, of true love, of unconditional love, and start relating to each other and our differences as, as something wanted, as something valuable, because it is. We learn from each other when we're different. And so let's come back into that again and, um, and see what happens. We're gonna, we haven't seen the worst of it yet, so buckle up. But once we're through the storm that's coming, I, I, I feel with all of my being that we're about to see some of the most patriotic and um, beautiful times of our lives. Mickey, what a fantastic close. I, I'm going to just say a few things before we button up. And so the first thing I just want to say is that, you know, it's by God's grace that I can do any of this. You know, you are right. It took grace's death to wake me up. And I would have never thought I'd be doing this today. But it's, you know, God is sovereign. God's providence is involved here. It's why you and I are talking right now. And 
you know, my daughter Grace died to wake me up. I hope other people don't have to have something like that happen. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what I would say relative to her death, and I am going to quote this from Genesis 50, 20. I'm going to read it right now. So Genesis, Genesis 50, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And, you know, God promises that Grace's death will not be in vain. And he does that for those who believe. And what it, you know, ultimately, you know, we talked a fair amount about God this during this time, which I'm grateful for. You know, it's, he is the only way that we can, we can get out of this. And, you know, ultimately, you know, in closing, I want people to know that you know, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And, you know, that faith in that reality produces action. And that's the action that Mickey has been talking about. And what I want to ask as a final question that's rhetorical is, have you, so anybody listening, have you been programmed to believe that man can solve the problems that man created. And if you are programmed that way, I'm hopeful that what Mickey shared today changes your paradigm because the only way out of this is with something way bigger than us. And I'll leave you with some real hope. And that is the end of the story has already been, been written. And we know with 100% certainty that God wins. So God bless you, Mickey. Thank you very much for for being my first guest. It was quite an honor. And God bless you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you.